Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching Roland Garros as well. Before I begin, I want to say my apologies. I said last Thursday that I would upload daily on my podcast clips channel. Uh, unfortunately, due to open mics and going, you know, just being busy in general. And even though I have been watching Roland Garros and I will be discussing Roland Garros matches in this podcast, uh, the fact that I didn't upload videos on my podcast clips channel, I'm very, very sorry. Uh, I'll try and make it up to you. I'll obviously recap the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals for Roland Garros like I did last year with Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. So hopefully we'll have fun then. Uh, but again, it's just like it's just too many matches, and you know, even the matches that I really want to watch, they finish late, and sometimes I have to leave for for other things and whatnot, other commitments. So my apologies there, but I'll definitely change it. I'll definitely try and uh, upload and recap the quarterfinals for Roland Garros, semifinals and finals. Uh, but for, but let's get into the topics for today. Uh, I just want to let you guys, guys off of that. Uh, but let's get into the topics for today. We can, uh, in terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Ricky Gervais getting in trouble for jokes on his new special in terms of his opinions and thoughts on trans people. And just the never-ending cycle of people getting mad at jokes and comedy and whatnot. So we can discuss that. We can also discuss Liz Cheney being awarded a Profiles and Courage Award uh, from the JFK Institute or from the Kennedy Honors. Uh, We can discuss that in terms of uh, a war criminal getting uh, an award from a group of people that uh, were generally anti-war. I mean, JFK was very anti-war. but in terms of news within the tennis world, we can get into Stefano Sitspas versus Lorenzo Musetti that happened yesterday. That was a best of five set thriller. It was five sets, and overall, it was a really good match for Sitspas at the tail end. Uh, not so much in the beginning, but overall, really good match for Stefano Sitspas. But where, where we will begin will be Andre Rublev versus Kwon Soon Woo. This happened yesterday, Tuesday, and this was this happened in four sets, and Andre Rublev beat Kwon Soon Woo. 6757 was the tiebreaker. 636264. Overall, I really enjoyed this match and it really shows that Andre Rublev will compete for Roland Garros. Now, I have him scheduled to go to the fourth round, I think quarterfinals, I think that's where people should have him. And I think this one sort of illustrates that. You know, when you think of Andre Rublev in this match, I mean, you got to give Andre Rublev his credit. Uh, he was able to have a great drop shot at 3-2 in the fourth set. And obviously that sort of torpedoed into allowing him to win the next three games in that fourth set, uh, in that, uh, well, the next uh, three out of the next five games out of that in that fourth set. And it really goes to show you that Andre Rublev really has the capabilities to counteract that of his opponents, whether it's that of his drop shot, whether it's that of his baseline play. It's great forehands and backhands that, you know, can be sort of accelerated into clean winners. It really goes to show you that Andre Rublev can compete and more importantly is a contender for the fourth round and for the quarterfinals. And that's sort of where the buck stops with Andre Rublev. I don't think he will be able to reach the semis or even that of the finals. I mean, when you think of Carlos Alcaraz, when you think of Novak Djokovic, when you think of Rafa Nadal, I mean, even that is Stefano Tsitsipas. I mean, you got to give Stefano Tsitsipas his credit. I mean, he did win Monte Carlo this past year. Uh, he won the Leon Open last year as well. Uh, he's done pretty well on clay for the most part in his career. So when you have these individuals that have been doing well in clay, it's a little difficult for me to say that Andre Rublev will win this year for a Roland Garros. But I think 
he has a good chance of doing well and to be able to do the heavy lifting in these smaller uh, matches and and build for that bigger match whenever it comes, whether it's the fourth round quarterfinals and whatnot. So I think that's where it comes when when it comes to my prediction with Andre Willow. I think he's a great player, and I you know I think he will win a major at some point in his career. I really do. In fact, I think he's going to have a very similar trajectory as that of say Andy Murray. I think he might win at best two majors, maybe three if we're going to. Like and that's like the best case scenario. Uh, but overall, I think Andre Rublev will win a major sometime. And wins like this against Kwon Sun Wu really shows you that. Now, obviously, he dropped the first set, which is an ideal. I mean, when you think of first round matches, uh, you should probably w- breeze by him. You know, I mean, if you're one of the top ten ranked, you should probably win in his straight sets, uh, like Andre Rublev is. But again, you know, to see him you know, bounce back and to do that in stride and to really go for it. I think it really goes to show you that, you know, he can, you know, be able to stick with it. You know, he's able to still find ways to win, even if the chips are against him. And I think if you're a fan of Andre Rulev, that's something that you should really keep in mind. And more importantly, that's something that we should all like, that's something that as tennis fans, we should all sort of commend is being able to stick with it and whatnot. Uh, obviously, that gets into my next discussion as to whether or not he did really stick with it, uh, because Andre Rublev in his match with Kwon Sun Wu had a bit of a temper tantrum. So at the end of the first set, he drops it. Obviously, not ideal. Um, and after his first set loss, he basically threw a ball at his own chair, and it rebounded off the chair and hit the cap of an assistant. And it was basically like millimeters away from hitting the assistant's like head i think it was like a ball boy's head i think and when watching this first off he didn't really get anything out of it like there was no like game penalty or whatnot i think there should have been some repercussions for it but what it really goes to show you is that andre Rulov needs to do better at controlling his own emotions right i think it's it's fine to you know be sad it's it's fine to sort of be pissed off at yourself uh, for dropping a first set obviously you know if you're a top 10 player to drop a first set at Roland Garros, not ideal. But I think you need. I think tennis players in general need to do a better job at controlling their emotions, and more importantly, they need to do a better job as to just calming themselves down. And to see Andre Rublev do this at a first round match at Roland Garros, what does that say about future matches that Andre Rublev will have? You know, when the competition is that much more tougher, when they have to play ranked opponents, when they have to play against opponents that kind of has have a number on him you know when you when he's playing against individuals that probably have had success against him what will that do for him in terms of his demeanor and his approach and again i I enjoy watching andre rublev play i think he's a really good player but to see him do this i think it's kind of sad and honestly i think somebody within his team needs to do something about it otherwise this will have repercussions for him it may not be that of say like you know, being able to withdraw from Rongars or, you know, being him like expunged from Rongars, but it, it could be a game penalty, you know, it could be a point penalty and it could be an actual point penalty that could have, could that could change the momentum of a match or that could change the swing of a match. So overall, you know, Andre Rulep needs to do a better, better job in terms of actually 
managing his emotions and you know things like this isn't helpful and honestly like you know when you see when you see this it, it's difficult to really sigh with him you know it's really difficult to understand where his rationale is because again this person does not make the same amount of money as Andrew Love, right? Like this person probably, you know, has a hard time, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to like sort of, you know, stereotype or whatnot. But, you know, when you think of assistants or when you think of individuals that work on, on court, you know, oftentimes they, they make very, they don't make that much money compared to that of say tennis players. I feel like that we can all agree on that. So when you see this, it's kind of sad, and more importantly, it's hard to ally with Rublev. It's hard to side and understand where Rublev was coming from when he just whips a tennis ball against a chair and it flings off a person's hat. You know, it's not ideal, and it's something that we shouldn't really be celebrating. So when I see this, and you know, as a person that you know went after, not didn't go after Nick Kyrgios, but sort of talked about and, and criticized Nick Kyrgios for what he did at Miami Open and for what Sasha Zverev did at Acapulco. I have to be honest with this, and I think this is something that Rublev needs to work focus on. He needs to focus on keeping his emotions intact so that it doesn't spiral out of control against actual tougher top-ranked opponents. And I feel like that rationale is kind of important to at least admit, to acknowledge, and more importantly to accept. Uh, because again, this is just not ideal. It really isn't. Uh, and I think the more we see this, uh, the more it hurts tennis as a product and the more it hurts our ability to watch and truly appreciate and enjoy these tennis players for what they've been doing on court. When you see this, it really takes away from the game and more importantly, it takes away from what we love from the sport of tennis. And I think that is, is a crime in and of itself. And I feel like Andre Love needs to focus on this and needs to focus on just playing the game as is. Otherwise, we'll see more of this from Andre Rublev in the next few tournaments to come. And that would say specifically of that, I would say Roland Garros. So he needs to focus on it. He really does because it's it's kind of sad, honestly. You know, I, I really do enjoy watching Andre Rublev play. You know, he's a very sort of marketable dude. I feel like, you know, he does really well with tennis Twitter. You know, tennis Twitter loves uh, Andre Rublev. Like they love Rublev, they love Team, uh, I would say Nadal, and uh, that maybe Federer, and that's about it. Honestly, like every like everyone else is like whatever, but those three, those four p people are like adored by tennis Twitter. So, and I saw a lot of people on on tennis Twitter get mad at Rublev for this. So maybe the tide is turning for Rublev, but overall he can still change, he can still adjust, right? Like. This isn't set in stone, right? I'm still a big fan of change and, and progress. And, and for Rublev, if Rublev can sort of keep his emotions intact for this for this tournament, I'll give him his credit. But I got to call a spade a spade, and I got to be honest about this. Uh, Rublev needs to do better at managing his emotions. Otherwise, it will come to a point where it could be actually worse. It could be him slashing a racket at a trail umpire. It could be him throwing a ball at a ball boy. It could be him smashing a, 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 a racket against a ball boy. You know, hopefully that doesn't happen. I, I really hope that doesn't happen. But it could, it could, you know. So that's something that Andre Bilev needs to focus on if he wants to do better and if he wants to make sure that he can reach to the fourth round, to the quarterfinals, and even that of, say, the final four uh, of Roland Garros. So I feel like I did uh, enough to discuss that topic. And I feel like, you know, when you talk, talk about Rublev, you know, I mean, Rublev, you know, not to you know, deviate from this discussion, but I mean, Rublev won the Serbian Open. You know, he won against Novak Djokovic and he actually bageled Novak Djokovic in that third set. 
So, I mean, I have high expectations for this man. And when he doesn't fulfill them, it's difficult for me to really side with him. And more importantly, I, I have to critique him. You know, I do. It's just part of what I have to do. So that's just my overall opinions and thoughts heading into this match and just my general key takeaways from that match. All right, let's get into our next bit of discussion here. So Stefano Sitspas played against Lorenzo Musetti and beat him in five sets. This was a probably one of the better matches of Roland Garros so far. Uh, he beat Musetti 5-7, 4-6, 6-2, 6-3, And overall, I really enjoyed this watching this match. I was going to recap this match yesterday, but because of how late it ended, it was difficult for me to really like put it out there on my podcast clips channel. I was going to do like a short, but I did a short for the Novak Djokovic thing, and I quickly deleted it because I had no idea how to make a short, and I didn't know the aspect ratio for making shorts was different than that of, say, putting out a YouTube video. So, and obviously, like, you know, when you, when I did my research on shorts, I'm like, oh, yeah, most of the people that watch shorts are watching it on their phone. So to me, to do it, like, horizontally and just use, like, my camcorder for it, it's not the best way to do it. You know, I might as well just you know, use my phone on portrait mode and just talk for a minute and just upload it on my podcast clip channel than just like using my camcorder to do a short and then like editing in post to adjust the aspect ratio and to resize the video for shorts. I know this is sort of like, you know, 101, like this is just editing 101, but I, I just felt like it was a little bit easier for me to just like talk about on my podcast channel and to put it as like whole instead of just like clipping it out and, and just like talking about it in less than a minute because I feel like this is a better way to like go about it. Uh, so yes, uh, seven of six boss, uh, long story short, it's better to just do this on this podcast channel than just upload a less than a minute clip on my podcast clips channel. So he beats Musetti five, seven, four, six, six, two, six, three, six, two. And you got to give Musetti his credit. You really do. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people are discussing how valiant of an effort six boss gave but you have to give Musetti's effort uh, his credit because this man was also, he actually did well at Roland Garros last year as well. I mean, he was able to put Joker through the ringer. He played a best, he played a five-set thriller with Djokovic last last year. He played a five-set thriller with Sitzmas this year. I mean, he's able to really be a dark horse candidate and really be the upset at several key tournaments. And I feel like you got to keep an eye on Musetti for the next few tournaments to come, because I do think he can upset a top-ranked player. He's shown in the past, and he's he made a valiant effort to do that in this match with Sitsipas. But overall, Sitsipas played Musetti, and this was a very, very topsy-turvy match. First off, Sitsipas won the first four out of the first five games, so he was up 4-1, and then all of a sudden, from the first set heading into that second set, Sitsipas won 10 out of the last 11 games. And he was able to take that first set, 7-5, as a result of it, but also was able to go up on Sitsipas because of that. And that momentum really, really had a, a really, really took some damage on Sitsipas. And before he knew it, Musetti was up two sets to love on Sitsipas. And the reason as to why he was able to go up two sets to love was because of the fact that with his serves, he was just targeting his backhand. And more importantly, he was able to get Sitspas to make unforced errors at several key, at several key breaks and was able to make Sitspas uh, sort of 
play tennis at a at a rate that we haven't really seen since Pas play tennis at. And that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about watching Lorenzo Musetti play is that he was able to really mentally outwit Stefano Tsitsipas. And I thought that was a very, very interesting thing to see from Lorenzo Musetti in this match. Uh, now, obviously, Tsitsipas did well, uh, especially in that sets 3-5. to five. I mean, he really changed his outlook on the game. He really changed his outlook on the match. He was able to keep his unforced errors in check able to go to the net when need be. I mean, there were several overheads that Sitsipas have that were just things of beauty. I mean, obviously, when you think of Sitsipas, you know, you think of his, you know, one-hand, backhand, and you think of his baseline play, but, man, those overheads are a thing of beauty. And, you know, when you just see him go to the net, I mean, more often than not, if Sitsipas went to the net, he would get points. And that was very evident in sets 3-5. to five. And overall, that's what allowed Sitsipas to really go up ahead on Lorenzo Musetti. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical uh, heading into that uh, first set because when it was love 31 serving two, uh, there was a uh, two serving one or one serving two uh, Sitsipas up. Uh, Sitsipas had a big swing and a miss on a volley. And I feel like it was like like an overhead, but no, I wouldn't say overhead, but he was like, it was like a stretch volley where he was just trying to like hit it, see where it goes. But there was like just a big swing and a miss. And that was sort of similar to what I saw from Sitsipas at uh, the Italian Open final with Novak Djokovic. You know, there was a big swing and a miss on a forehand by Sitsipas. And, you know, that's something that, you know, is a recurring trend with Sitsipas. You know, early on in a match, you know, there are times where he'll just have a big swing and a miss. And I don't know if it's been something that's well thought out or well established in his career, but it's been picking a momentum in the past few matches that he's been in. So do with that information what you will. But I just thought it was important to point out that there have been times early on in matches recently where he's just had big swings and misses on the ball. So if somebody's able to add spin or is able to dictate pace early on in the match, I feel like that could really do damage on Seven Sitsipas' psyche in terms of being able to outwit him and, more importantly, get the upper hand on Seven Sitsipas. So do with that information what you will. But I just thought it was important to at least point that out. Uh, so, yes, overall, good match by Seven Sitsipas. Really shows his desire to win. Is this a good thing for Seven Sitsipas? Some say yes, some say no. Honestly, as I said with my Rublev Quan discussion, I think when you're a top-ranked player, to play in a best to play five sets early on in this Roland Garros Grand Slam, when you're scheduled to play in the quarterfinals or even that of the semifinals, I mean his bracket. I mean there really isn't any competition in that bracket. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good to see him play five sets this early on. In the Grand Slam. Obviously, it's a great match. One of the best matches to be to watch so far on the Slam, at the Slam. But overall, it was just... I feel like if you're a top-ranked player, especially... I think he's number four, I think, in, in, at Roland Garros. When you're number four, you can't be playing five-set matches this early on. It, it's not a good sign. Because it will chip away at you and your stamina in later matches, right? Again, you know, these five-set matches do take a toll, and you only play every other day. So if you're playing against a better opponent next time in your second-round match, this first-round match will have repercussions for that second-round match. 
and it will take away at your health, whether it be mental health or physical health, but it will chip away at your health one way or another, and you have to sort of mentally prepare yourself for that. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how Stephens and Spots does that. You know, I think, you know, this is one of the few times where we, where, where we will be able to see the overall progression of Stephens and Spots, but that's something to keep in mind if you're a tennis fan. I think it's very, very important to at least point that out. And more importantly, it's more it's important to at least note that because there will be better opponents than Musetti. I mean, obviously, all with all due respect, all with all due respect to Musetti, uh, there will be opponents that will be better than Musetti. So it will come down to the fact that this match will have repercussions as to whether or not he will be mentally there or physically there. Or, or that is, say, being physically present and mentally present in those matches against better, more ranked opponents. And I think that's a very sort of interesting tidbit that must be addressed when it comes to Stemmerson Spots' match with Musetti. Overall, I really enjoyed watching this match. Even though he did run away with it in, in sets 3-5 to five in ways that were quite, you know, not that competitive, it was still important to see this because it shows you that Stemmerson Spots is still able to go toe-to-toe and is able to even if he's down to love he's still able to uh come back in a way that only stiffness and spouse can do that and hopefully that's evident in his matches forward at roland garros because he's going to need it he really is um so yeah that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on that match with musetti and sitsipas Again, I have high expectations for Sitsipas. I really do. You know, this is a man that reached the French Open final last year. This is a man that was able to win the Lyon Open last year, Monte Carlo last year, uh, reached the final of the Barcelona Open last year, was able to win Monte Carlo this year. I mean, he won Monte Carlo back-to-back years this year against Davidovich Joaquina. I mean, I have high expectations for this man. So when I see a, a five-set match for Sitsipas this early on, I'm like, ah, not good, not good. Um... Obviously, he did win, which obviously, you know, is what we expect to happen. But overall, to see him go to five sets, not ideal. It really isn't. So, yeah, overall, Sitsipas Musetti, good match to watch. A very enter- entertaining match. Uh, with twist and turns, uh, Musetti did great on serves. He really did. Uh, Sitsipas, whenever he came to the net, he won. He dominated. I mean, you got to give him credit when credit is due. Uh, so... Congrats to both of them for having a high, highly qual, a high quality, entertaining match. I'm excited to see what's going to happen for the two of them in the future. So yes, um, overall, that's where I'll sort of leave it off at that with Sitsipas Musetti. Actually, one more, one last thing about Musetti. You got to, I mean, Musetti, dark horse candidate. He really is. I mean, I don't know if he's, if he's ever going to win a major. I, I don't think that's a possibility. But if you're a betting man. You know, if you see Musetti against a top-ranked opponent early on in a Grand Slam, don't be afraid to bet on him. You know, don't be afraid to take the under or take the over. Take the under. I think that's betting terms. I think taking the under means taking the underdog. Uh, so take the under. I mean, take take Musetti. I really am. Uh, usually, I don't really address gambling and whatnot. But hey, if Tennis Channel is working with DraftKings, then hey, and then I can at least at least address it. You know. Uh, so let's get into our next bit of discussion here uh, in terms of our discussion outside of tennis world with uh, Liz Cheney being awarded the Kennedy Profiles and Courage Award. Uh, so basically every year, 
the JFK family uh, awards a group of people distinct honors with helping out their service to their country and whatnot. And this was uh, inspired by JFK's book, Profiles and Courage, where he basically picked seven individuals where he that he truly loved and enjoyed and just gave his credit to them. He made it as a book. JFK made it as a book. It's a really entertaining read, so go uh, read it. Very good book to read. Uh, quite short, so, I mean, you can read it in, like, an afternoon. Uh, but overall, it's basically that award giving people uh, who serve roles in politics and government, like some service and just do, which is a very admirable thing to do. I'm not going to lie. It's very admirable. Uh, there's a lot of honor in, in that award and whatnot. But the person that they gave this award to is quite sad. So Liz Cheney was awarded the Profiles and Courage Award. This is from People Magazine. So JFK's grandson, Jack Schlossberg, awards Liz Cheney Profiles and Courage. Uh, Jack Schlossberg is like JFK's grandson, and he looks everything like JFK Jr. He really does. He looks every bit like JFK Jr. I, I looked at pictures of him. I'm like, damn, like this man, like he can he can play Patrick Bateman, like he really can, in a movie. Like if, if there was like a remake of American Psycho, I mean, he would be my first choice, honestly. Even though he's not like an actor technically, um, he can still do it because that's how low of an opinion I have on actors. I really do. Uh, so yeah, this is from uh, People Magazine. Repu Republican Liz Cheney was honored Sunday night with the JFK Profile and Courage Award, a distinction the Kennedy family said was for courage that does not quit. Jack Schlossberg, the, young the youngest child of Caroline Kennedy and Ed Schlossberg, and the only grandson of JFK, okay, so son of Caroline Kennedy, not son of JFK Jr., my my sorry, but my uh, I'm sorry. Uh, my apologies, but still the grandson JFK and Jackie Kennedy deliver brief remarks at a Sunday ceremony before giving Cheney 53 or 55 her award. She's that old, damn. Uh, in profiles and courage, my grandfather focused on the task of challenging your own party. Sometimes it has to be done. Schlossberg 29 said. Congresswoman Cheney found herself there in 2020, noting that Cheney is a lifelong and committed conservative Republican. Schlossberg described her how she was ostracized from her party after publicly rebuking Donald Trump for his false claims that the 2020 election was somehow rigged before he lost. All right, so in terms of the whole stop the steal election, the whole election was a rigged thing, was a rigged thing. Honestly, my thoughts on that is I think every election is rigged. I really do. I mean, look back at uh, 2004 with John Kerry. I mean, Look at the ballots in Ohio with that. Look at 2000 with Al Gore and uh, George W. Bush. I mean, look back at, you know, the election that, you know, JFK won. I mean, there's some that claim that the mafia was involved with JFK winning. I mean, to think that an election was rigged is something that I think is in every election. I think every election is rigged. So I don't want to make it specific about this. But to give Liz Cheney this award, I mean, why? This, this woman has a father that was responsible for some of the worst wars my generation has ever seen. And and to give this woman an award for this is quite sad and really shows the low, uh, low barrier of entry that Democrats have for Republicans in terms of them just being normalized. Like, if this is what gets Democrats to, to side with Republicans, then... It really shows you just how complicit the Democrats are with helping other Republicans and vice versa when it comes to help having nothing done, right? If this is the barometer, 
of, of what is considered to be exemplary behavior, then we're having some issues, folks. Like that, that's kind of sad to see. So to see Liz Cheney being given this award, first and foremost, like she, her dad basically worked in the government that some may say was complicit in murdering JFK. I mean, I mean, there have been times where I mean. There have been conspiracies that George W. Bush, and again, this is all alleged. I don't want to say this is as a, as set in stone, but there are conspiracies that J that you know George W. Bush and his family were complicit in the murder of JFK. I mean, it's I mean it's a you know George W. Bush's family comes from Dallas. You know JFK's assassination came from uh, was in Dallas. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to it. I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I'm just saying there's a lot of conspiracies in regards to that. So. When I see JFK's family give this award to Liz Cheney, I'm like, you have no idea how your father is rolling in the grave looking at this. Like, think about it. JFK, I don't think people realize this, but JFK was anti-CIA. I mean, he wanted to, I mean, there's a quote. I don't know if it's out of context or whatnot, but I'll stick with it. He said he wanted to blow the CIA into a billion pieces. And if there's anybody who's, closely closely aligned with the cia it's liz cheney so when i see jfk's family do this i'm like dude jfk would hate you for this i mean jfk would sincerely hate you for giving this award to a genocidal warmonger i mean jfk wasn't i mean obviously people criticize criticize jfk in my opinion uh you know people like discuss his personal life and you know his life in the white house for you know nefarious activities and whatnot you know you know his fling with marilyn monroe and you know just his adultery and whatnot and, and all and you know him cheating and whatnot on his wife i'm not going to discuss that but in terms of presidents i mean in terms of modern day presidents he's one of the best he really is and, and you just look at how he did the, what he did with the bay of pigs invasion think of what he did in terms of trying to like bring world peace i mean he's one of my favorite presidents to ever be in the white house and it's more of a my, my choice because I know he's not everybody's favorite. But in terms of what he did in terms of the Bay of Pigs, you know, pulling out of the Bay of Pigs, in terms of stopping World War Three, I mean, you got to give, you know, JFK's credit there. You really have to uh, go read um, The Devil's Chessboard. That's a really good. I mean, I'm recommending a lot of books uh, here today, but go read The Devil's Chessboard. It really discusses Alan Doles and the CIA. Very good read. A uh, heavy read. It's not like Profiles and Courage, but go go read that book. Highly suggest you do. Uh, but overall, in this di- in this discussion with Liz Cheney being awarded the Profiles and Courage Award, it's like JFK was the living opposite of that of say Liz Cheney. I mean, to so to see Liz Cheney being given this award, it's like for me, like I actually like the Profiles and Courage Award. I'm not gonna lie. Like when you see like you know, I mean, obviously there are sometimes where it's more misses and hits, but the idea of say, hey, like let's all come together, let's all help each other out, let's let's give each other, you know, let's let's I mean, let's obviously it's it's an award, so it's no different than that. I say the Oscars or Emmys is basically a circle jerk, but the idea of hey, let's help each other out, or hey, even though I disagree with your opinion on something, I can still say you did a good thing in terms of this service or in this regard. I think that in and of itself is something that we need more of in our society. We need more people from different political coalitions and different walks of life to all come together and to sort of see eye to eye on certain issues. But more importantly, just to agree to disagree and, and to you know look at each other and say, even though I disagree with what you said there, I understand why you said it. And more importantly, 
I can agree with on certain issues that you have. And I think the Profiles and Courage Award really bridges the gap between political walks of life. And I think this is an award that can really be a force for good. But to see it be a war to Liz Cheney out of all people, of all people, I think it's doing a disservice to the award, honestly. And I feel like it might be better to award it to somebody who is a Republican or, or whatnot, but is actually, you know, doing things that are outside of the Republican Party's norm. Because, you know, what Liz Cheney said, I mean, that's basically what the majority of Republicans in office really believe as well. I mean, let's be honest here, like the majority of people in office only use Trump as a vehicle to get more voters. They had they did not care whatsoever about what Trump had to say. All of these Republicans in office, all they really cared about was getting his endorsement so that people would vote for them. That's all it really came down to. So I mean there are other Republicans in office that should be given awards. I mean, think of what Rand Paul has done in the past few years. I mean he went hard on Fauci, that's great. I mean he went hard on YouTube, you know you know, censoring people and, and YouTube censoring his account. That's also great to go after Google, a big tech company. He, you know, said he added provisions in the uh, Ukraine spending bill because he says that giving, you know, X amount of money to Ukraine is not good for our country. We should spend that in, in our own country, which is amazing to see. You know, he talked about, you know, how important it is to, you know, allow people to make their own choice, to make their own decisions when it comes to living their own lives in regards to the old COVID, you know, vaccine kind discussion that's also really good i mean Rand paul he's one of i mean i don't have any favorites in office i mean all politicians are corrupt you know that's all that's what it boils down to but Rand paul has routinely showed how he can side with democrats on a vast majority of issues and a lot of democrat voters and a lot of people that generally do vote democrat i feel like a lot of individuals on the democrats can really see eye to eye with Rand paul on a lot of issues i mean at one point democrats were anti-war i mean Rand paul is one of the most anti-war individuals in office right now you know obviously you know there are other individuals that are very anti-war but uh for Rand paul i mean he outleft he was he he outleft the left on a lot of issues when it comes to russia ukraine i mean the squad all voted for sending ukraine money you uh, Rand Paul did not. So that's a person that I think would actually honor Kennedy's legacy in terms of being non-interventionist. So I feel like that award should have gone to those individual, to that said individual Rand Paul specifically, then I would say Liz Cheney. Uh, obviously Liz Cheney, uh, Liz Cheney's father is just evil through and through. And she's no different. Like, I mean, she really isn't. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between her father and that of, say, her. I mean, didn't she, like, go after Biden for pulling troops out of Afghanistan, like, back in August, September? It's like, routinely, each and every foreign policy opinion she has is unpopular and widely disliked. And the fact that Wyoming still votes of her after, like, every two years. I mean, there's some shady stuff happening there. Like, let, let's be honest here. Like, I, I fail to... I, I, I fail to understand why Wyoming, the country that, I mean, the country, the state that she represents, votes for her. I, I don't know why that is. You know, I really don't. So if anything, if there's any rigged election that's happening, it's probably going to Liz Cheney. Like, let's be honest here. Maybe not so much for Trump. You know, I mean, some people may say it's rigged. Maybe some others say it's not rigged. But if there's a rigged election, it's probably for Liz Cheney. Let's be honest here. Uh, so, yeah. Overall, that's just my uh, key takeaways from this uh, tidbit, from this award, from this ceremony. It's a circle jerk, just like any other 
award shows or whatnot, but still to see Liz Cheney get awarded this, it really puts into perspective just how in cahoots the Kennedy family is with the Cheney family and how basically they're one of the same. They really are. There's really no difference between these two families. They're going to do whatever the CIA tells them to do. And overall, the CIA told them to give it to Liz Cheney, and that's what happened. You know, Liz Cheney's award at the Profiles and Courage Award. Uh, a slap in the face to JFK, if I'm going to be honest with you. All right, so let's get into our next bit of discussion here. This will be a little bit more of a fun discussion, and this is where I'll sort of leave it off at. Uh, so Ricky Gervais gets in trouble for telling jokes at his comedy special. Um, obviously, you know, Ricky Gervais, he goes out to celebs at the Golden Globes. He's a very funny roaster. Uh, he does it like he does at award shows, and I think that's very good. That's very... Uh, that's a breath of fresh air amongst um, amongst all these presenters and uh, hosts that you know don't really say any jokes that are in cahoots with the people at, in the audience that are only doing this job to network and to be invited to these parties and whatnot. You know, to see Ricky Gervais actually tell it like it is and to be honest about his opinions on several stars and celebrities, I think that's a very very good thing to see. Uh, and he released a special on Netflix titled. Uh, I don't know what it's titled, but yeah, I'll pull it up. Uh, I actually watched the special show. I should know this. Um, but this is from Variety. So Ricky Gervais' Netflix special draws criticism for graphic jokes mocking trans people. Uh, so Ricky Gervais' Netflix comedy special, Supernature, that's the name of the special, has only been released on the streamer for a few hours, but it has already drawn criticism for a string of graphic jokes and hurtful transphobic jokes. Four minutes into the special, Gervais dives into material about the trans community seemingly calculated to draw controversy. Oh, women, he starts. Not all women. I mean the old-fashioned ones. The old-fashioned women. The one, the one with wombs. Those effing dinosaurs. I love the new women. They're great, aren't they? The new ones we've been seeing lately. The, the ones with beards and cocks. They're as good as gold. I love them. Wait, did he actually say that? Okay. I, and now the old-fashioned ones say, Oh, they want to use our toilets. Why shouldn't they use our toilets? For ladies. They're ladies. Look at their pronouns. What about this person? Isn't a lady? Well, his penis. Her penis. You you effing bigot. If, what if you... Oh, okay. I'm not going to say all that, but uh, you know what I'm saying. So he made jokes about trans people. Uh, f- f- uh, so then later on in the article, he, uh, he it states, A few minutes later, when discussing Kevin Hart removing himself from hosting the Oscars in 2018 for past homophobic jokes, Gervais continued joking about the trans community. You can't predict what will be offensive in the future, Gervais said. You don't know who, who the dominant mob will be. Like, the worst thing you can say today... Get you canceled on Twitter death threats. The worst thing you can say today is women don't have penises, right? Now, no one saw that coming. You won't find a 10-year-old tweet saying women don't have penises. You know why? We don't We don't think we ha- fucking had to. Uh, towards the end of the special, Gervais offers his re- reasoning for trans jokes saying, full disclosure, in real life, of course, I support trans rights. I support all human rights. Trans rights are human's rights. So live your best life. Use your preferred pronouns. Be the gender you feel you are. But meet me halfway, ladies. Lose a cock. That's all I'm saying. All right, so... Here's my opinions on all of this. Uh, so Twitter is going after him, and I feel like there's a group, like a subsection of people that are really trying to like cancel him, and whatnot. But I feel like the tide is turning. I feel like a lot of people are done with cancel culture. I see it. You know, I feel like the Will Smith slapping Chris Rock thing was the sort of the opening of people that not not really felt focusing on cancel culture. And in terms of like people my age, like I'm 23 right now. Uh, maybe other comedians may have a different opinion on this, but in terms of my age, I feel like a lot of people are just done with it. I really do. I mean, 
my people my age are saying retard now like like we do not care about like cancel culture as much as like these boomers and yuppies and why did i say yuppies more so boomers uh more so than these boomers are saying right like i feel like it's such a weird thing to discuss about cancel culture because i i generally do believe that a lot of people my age especially people that you know didn't grow up in the best conditions or best situation i feel like a lot of those individuals just simply don't care about cancel culture they don't really want to partake in it they're like hey tell your jokes say what you want to say we'll have a discussion about it but i feel like a lot of people in my age range just simply don't care about it i i I think we're so preoccupied with our own problems with our own you know issues that we just simply don't care about cancel culture uh so that's what i believe and what people my age range will be believe as well obviously you know my fellow comedians may say something different you know for a lot of comedians unfortunately uh they have to be on their p's and q's and, and they have to say the right thing and if you if you're a comedian that tells a joke that's blue or off color then they're like well you can't say that joke you know that joke is racist or sexist or whatever and it's like you you don't know my life you know like you really don't know my situation you don't know where i'm coming from stop late stop putting labels on these jokes they're just jokes stop it uh, so yeah, I feel like that's what it boils down to. I feel like a lot of people in my age range really don't care about cancel culture. I think, you know, you hear a lot of people, you know, complain about cancel culture, but I feel like, you know, stories like this, stories like Chappelle get being attacked on stage, bum rushed on stage, stories like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. I feel like it shows you that the tide is turning. And I feel like a lot of people just value jokes and it's, they just want to, you know, be given a distra- distraction for an hour or so. So that's where I sort of come down to with the overall cancel culture discussion. And in terms of the joke with Ricky Gervais, uh, I'll defend him because obviously I think jokes are worthy to be defended by, but uh, I don't really see this as like that funny. Like, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. Like, I mean, Shane Gillis is goddamn hysterical. Like, uh, Shane Gillis is one of my favorite comedians working today. And, uh, you know, this, this, that's a man that really goes balls to the wall so and, and when i see people go after him like you know what i'll defend him through and through and i'll, I'll defend ricky gervais in this as well but i mean shane gillis has jokes that are extremely funny well written and more importantly that really show a, that really cause a guttural visceral reaction out of the audience where like okay i understand where this guy is coming from and i think this man is very funny with ricky gervais however i feel like this is so like such an old outdated and in my opinion quite a hack joke where it's just like and i'll defend him right because again he's a comedian you know i feel like it's very important for comedians to defend other comedians but i feel like this joke is just has been so played out recently where it's like like we get it you know the trans people you know it's weird we get it you know like it's fine if you're going to make jokes about trans people just like reinvent yourself you know you do something outside of the box you know do something outside of the ordinary you're like this joke is in line with every other comedians jokes about trans people like it really isn't and to be honest with you i know like people talk about Chappelle for incessantly going after trans people and you know he's been going like for the past three four specials all he's been doing is talking about trans people that's Chappelle. he's still funny but i mean he's been talking about trans people a lot uh but with ricky gervais it's been like past four or five years i mean didn't you release a special back in 2017 like where he just talked about caitlin jenner for like the first 10 minutes it's like come on like let's let's talk about something else like make fun of me like make fun of my people make fun of indians like at some point like you like do something that's outside of what people expect you to hear 
or you know like do something that you know is considered edgy but something that is something that you yourself don't feel bored discussing you know something that we don't feel bored you discussing you know just talk about you know you know you know small people i don't know talk about retards you know talk about something anything anything like like honestly like that's what what i my opinion is is like listen if you want to make jokes about trans people that's great like if it's funny it's funny but at some point you just got to talk about other things you know it's important to at least constantly reinvent yourself you know don't get so caught up in the twitter mob and the cancel culture mob because you know, at the end of the day, that's who you're going to be placating to. I mean, and more importantly, that's who you will be having in mind when making your next special. So to be like the Twitter mob, the cancel culture mob, it's like, no, no, don't focus on that. Focus on making funny jokes about anything, if not everything. You know, don't focus on what so-and-so will say. Don't focus on trying to keep defending yourself. If you're funny, you're funny. People will defend you for that. You know, that's what matters at the end of the day you know don't you know buy into this you know fake wrestling that occurs on twitter and so other social mediums just focus on your material just focus on getting better focus on writing the best jokes ever and overall people will defend you on behalf of that you know for so that's my opinion on the whole ricky racing I, I know it's a little bit more nuanced than you know what you'll hear from other channels like oh cancel culture sucks it's like yeah cancel culture sucks like don't get me wrong like obviously like a, a lot of people my age range also believe in that as well but i think it's also important to say okay like this joke could be better written you know this joke could be have, have been better said you know this is a little too you know just all over the place you know it, it's like this joke is like jackson pollock but without like the class or without you know the the well the the well received of a jackson pollock painting where it's just like throwing stuff against the wall seeing what sticks and not really having a coherent point or more importantly having a joke that is just you know hand on you know knee funny you know it's it's one of those things where i'll defend ricky gervais i think it's very important to defend jokes but overall it's just not something that Honestly, that I, I don't find to be, you know, as enjoyable as, say, a Shane Gillis joke or say that of, say, a, a joke that Andrew Schultz might say. I mean, Andrew Schultz, Schultz's joke on, you know, transgender people or, or is like trannies. I mean, that's just like an abbreviated version of transgender people. Transgender, tranny, grandmother, granny. You're just shortening it and adding an E to the end. I mean, that's like the funniest thing ever. You're just adding a Y to the end of a word. I mean, that was one of the funniest bits Andrew Schultz ever made. And he used to have several funny ones. But again, this is this is different from all of that. Like, this is just like saying the most like, you know, Facebook tier jokes in a special and trying to get away with it. It's nothing anything new. It's nothing any, it's not anything exciting or interesting. But I feel like it's important to defend Ricky Gervais because again, he is a comedian. He's trying to make jokes. And even if the jokes are a little bit hack, I think it's still important to defend it because it does set an ugly precedent where now comedians can't really joke about what they want to joke about. So overall, that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on that. I know it's a little bit outside of what you've been accustomed to hearing about, you know, comedy culture and the discourse surrounding stand-up comedy. But those are just my full thoughts on the matter. You know, I think cancel culture is dumb. I feel like the people that are going after Ricky Gervais are dumb. But I also believe that Ricky Gervais could have written that joke a little bit better. You know, so I don't know how I'm going to clip this because if I clip this, then, you know, people are going to take this the wrong way. So I'll just leave it as it is, you know, say, say my piece on that. 
Uh, I'm a comedian, guys. I, I'm a stand-up comedian. I like to defend jokes. You know, I'm a guy that loves Legion of Kings. You know, I love, even if, I love Legion of Kings. They're like one of my favorite podcasts out there. So, you know, I, I don't really, I actually was on Legion of Kings, by the way. So, uh, yeah, I won't tell you the episode, but I was on it. So, uh, overall, that's just my overall th- opinions on uh, the Ricky Gervais special. And uh, hopefully he just writes better jokes. You know, that's, that's. And and not focus too much on trans people because it, it it's it's getting hacked. The disc, the topics of, about discussing trans people are hacked now. Like it, it's getting quite hacky. And hopefully something or someone can like come in the way and say like, hey, like this is my joke on trans people, but I'm going to do it in an eloquent way and a a way that's different from the rest. Hopefully there's some person that can do that. But I don't know. I feel like discussing trans people in your comedy special. For the past seven, eight years, it, it's been getting quite derivative and quite hacky at this point. So that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on the Ricky Gervais situation as it comes to the Twitter outrage over his special. All right, guys. Uh, I think that's it for today. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you... Leave a comment down below on any of the discussions that any of the topics that I had for today, whether it's on Ricky Gervais' special. I mean, leave a comment uh, on your overall thoughts and opinions on the special. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you enjoy it? Uh, what are your thoughts on the Twitter cancel culture case on Ricky Gervais? And uh, are you in support of Ricky Gervais? Do you think he's a funny comedian? Do you think his discussions on trans people are a little bit derivative and hack at this point? I want to hear all your thoughts and opinions on that down below. I want to hear your thoughts on Liz Cheney being awarded the Provost and Courage Award, as well as the tennis topics that I discussed, whether it was Sissabas and Mash against Musetti, and that is say Rublev versus Kwon Soon Woo. Uh, I also want you guys to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Ajay Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R, underscore the N on both my Instagram and Twitter. And make sure you rate and review on iTunes and Spotify. I know Spotify has a new feature where you can rate on... Uh, spotify and, and you can do your you know stars and whatnot so uh go rate and review on itunes and spotify and i'll see you guys on uh tuesday uh we'll discuss more about roland garros i don't know if i'll be able to discuss any roland garros matches uh for this week uh but again i'll definitely discuss quarterfinals semifinals finals and my apologies i i said i was going to recap one match each and every day but it's just too much so my apologies on that on that regard but until then, I'll see you guys on Tuesday. We'll talk more about matches that are happening at Rongaros and things that are happening in our political and societal realm. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Avoid the bookings, and I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. Spend time with your family and friends, and enjoy Rongaros as well. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.